Welcome to another episode of the Disciplology, a podcast where we discuss things about discipleship. Uh, I'm joined with Chris and Mary today. We have a very special guest. Uh, you love him. I love him. He's actually a dear friend. Barnabas Piper is with us. We're going to talk all about happiness today. So Barnabas has written a new book, Hoping for Happiness. Barnabas, uh, thank you, one, for being here. Um, how do you feel about it when people say, I've read your book, but in fact, I actually listened to it. Is that the same? Listening and reading. It, it counts. Yeah. Especially because, because I read it on the audiobook, So you got to hear it direct from the author's mouth. Well, and it, it man, I'll tell you what you in my ears constantly for those couple of hours was a bit too much. Did it Your make you vo- happy? No. Well, uh, debatable for Did sure. Did you have him on two X? <laughs> yeah. His voice was higher. It sounded a bit more chipmunky. It's very, very Alvin and the chipmunks, right? Yeah. Uh, so I want to turn a little bit to scripture. So, uh, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter three talks about wisdom brings happiness. Psalms 144 says, happy are the people whose God is their Lord. And so I know that you contrast happiness and gladness. How can we find happiness? It's, a, it's an open-ended question. That's for what sure. I do. Yeah. Um, I think the, the starting point for finding happiness is, is to make sure that your expectations are oriented correctly. So scripture being the right starting place to do that. There's the, there's the understanding that the Bible starts with a perfect world. God, God creates everything and says, this is good. It is good. It is good. And then Genesis three happens and everything gets uh, cursed, but that doesn't mean everything goes bad. It doesn't mean everything becomes as bad as possible. So there's this tension of, we still have the goodness that God created in the world. And we have we have to have expectations that recognize that everything is broken. Everything is twisted. Everything will not meet our expectations. That's like what Ecclesiastes talks about with vanity of vanities is that these things will not fulfill. And so understanding those, that tension, I think is the starting place for framing. What does happiness look like in this life? And then what do we, what do we look forward to in eternity, recognizing that the Bible also promises the coming of Christ and the redemption of the world and the, the re-perfecting of things, if you will. And so it's, it's sort of that, con- that continuum that frames happiness for us. And that, that's, a, that's the big answer to a big question. Yeah, you, you talk about how you're a realist and you're less cynical than you used to be. And, and to my uh, statement to that was like, there was nowhere else for you to go. Like you couldn't have become more <laughs> cynical. Uh, but the, uh, the, the illustration of the hooks Mm -hmm. hit me like it shouldn't have hit me. Uh, I hang all sorts of things on hooks that are faulty. Uh, Talk to us about how we remove things off of those hooks or we're we're hanging better things on hooks. Yeah. So the analogy I use is those, those three M command hooks that, that uh, you didn't name them in the, in the book, which I appreciated. But we all knew what they were. My little, I have them little behind the scenes. uh, My editor, would is a British and so 3M not a big thing there apparently and also huh. didn't want me to get sued. Um, maybe we'll get sued for this, but yeah, the the always frustrating command hooks you stick on the wall, you're confident it's going to hold something. You put whatever it is a picture or you hang a broom on it in a closet or whatever, and then there is a crash. It will come down, and uh, and so comparing our happiness and our expectations to that where we are constantly hanging our expectations of happiness on a hook that can't hold it, whether it's work 
or uh, relationships or um, even churches. We, the, the way that we search for a church, we think this, this is going to be it. This is the perfect church and, and it doesn't meet our expectations. So the question of how do we, how do we hang them on the right hooks or how do we, how do we remove the weight from those hooks because it's, because um, it's unrealistic. It, it does come back to expectations. And it's also, it's recognizing that those things that I mentioned, work, relationships, church, uh, whatever it is, all, are all good things, but they cannot bear the weight of our happiness. They are designed to deliver a certain amount of happiness, a certain kind of happiness for a certain duration. And I think that's really key to understanding happiness in this life is taking things as they are instead of as we dream them to be. So you start a new job. Everybody loves their new job for somewhere between four weeks and six months. And then they, then they hit the expense report. I still love my job. I'm so glad for you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad for you. Um, but at some point you're like, Oh, this is a grind. Oh, the commute stinks. Oh, I have to do expense reports, whatever it is. And if we've hung our happiness on that, then all of a sudden we're like, maybe this isn't the job for me instead of going, what, what is this thing? What is there to be grateful for? And so there's a, there's just a constant tempering of expectations and temporal, temporal things, understanding that they will not deliver full happiness. They'll deliver aspects of happiness. They are good gifts. They are things to be thankful for, but not things to, to count on in that massive, this is, this is the entirety of my happiness being born by this marriage or this career or this creative endeavor or whatever it is seems like that a hang up for for at least some people especially if you have a church background if you've been in church for a long time is that word happiness i mean does does god really are we supposed to seek after happiness aren't we supposed to seek after joy and <laughs> you know things that seem to make us happy you know new toys new cars things like that that's not truly joy so can you flesh that out What's different? Is it different? The short answer is I don't think there's much of a difference between joy and happiness. I think that's a false distinction that people have made. Um, I, the motive behind it probably was good at one point. We're trying to set aside a false version of happiness in worldly things from joy in the Lord, which is the thing the Bible commands. So it's a, it's a real thing. But when the Bible, you, you talked about gladness earlier, Andrew. When the Bible talks about gladness, when it talks about thankfulness, those, those are just rejoicing. That's just happiness. That's, that's what that is. It's happiness in something. And so to, to draw a distinction as if joy is wholesome and righteous and happiness is, is shallow and worldly, it, that's not a distinction God makes. And so I think, I think what we need to, what we need to keep in mind is that if we are finding happiness in things of, you know, worldly things, that's okay. As long as it's, the right kind of happiness, the right amount of happiness, and that it's funneling back in gratitude toward the Lord. So the new car, the new house, the, the whatever it is, these, these things that could be materialistic can also be objects of gratitude. And I just, yeah, I don't think, I don't think that it's helpful to draw that distinction because what that does is creates guilt over being happy, which is not a thing that God wants for us. Mm. God doesn't ask us to feel guilty for enjoyment 
Otherwise, he wouldn't have made enjoyable things in the world. You know, if God, if God didn't want us to find enjoyment in our spouse and our meals and music and art and all of these wonderful things, then what he's done is create a world full of temptation. So God is at fault. If, that, if you want to follow that train of thought, well, that's right. clearly not the case. He created a world for us to enjoy with an eye toward him as creator and giver. Yeah, I loved that concept of evangelist, I think is what you called it in the book. Uh, I've seen that in myself. I've seen that in people that I lead. Um, And so how would you say, like, if that's something that the church is struggling with, how do we help walk them through that and like get past the guilt to get to enjoying God and his presence? Yeah, the the concept of I mean, I made up the word, but evangelic guilt. So this this low key Christian guilt over enjoying anything. Or, oh, but it's very real. Oh, you yeah. made it up, but it's real. Yeah, e- even I mean, just put a name on it. Yeah, and it's anything you get that's new, you have to make an excuse for. You have to explain that you got a deal on it. You know, your parents paid yep. for your vacation, whatever it is. Um, so just sort of suppressing enjoyment in anything that looks lavish. It's a like thing that we my all know. plane, my private plane. I'm always telling people <laughs> it was paid for by donations. It's paid for by. God wanted me to have that yes. for my happiness. You promised to pray for everybody who donated and it was I'll get there someday. Wonderful. I'll yeah. get there. Yeah. Um, your question, Mary. Uh, how do we help people pass that? I think it really is. Um, I think it has to start with, with a deep understanding of Genesis 1. I think a huge amount of evangelicalism starts at Genesis three. We get it yeah. wrong because even, even our presentations of the gospel start with you're a sinner. Yeah. Well, you missed something very significant. The gospel starts with yep. in the beginning, God created and it was good. Mm-hmm. Then we get to you're a sinner. So sinner affects how we enjoy things. It was good says who the giver is, how this thing was designed to be used, all of that. And if we can help people get an understanding of that and you're a sinner there's going to be a tension because we idolize everything. So that some of that guilt is, is probably correct because we do idolize sure. all sorts of things. We turn them into those, those weak hooks. But a huge amount of it is false because what it's doing is just it's putting the brakes on the kind of enjoyment that God wants us to have in his creation, in his world, in these good gifts. And that's a Genesis 1 thing. And the recognition that, that God didn't make this for you not to enjoy it. Yeah. So Great. super romantic of me, uh, when my wife and I were still dating, I actually uttered the phrase, uh, God did not make marriage to make us happy, but to make us holy, which is something that you argue for in, in your book too. Walk us through how those are not separate. Yeah. Um, that That is a phrase that... That's a really prominent phrase from a really prominent marriage book. And uh, there's some nuance in it, the way it was written, but the way that people have understood it, it just pits happiness and holiness against each other. That's right. And um, and I think that's a false distinction. Now, we love false distinctions. It's way easier than thinking in, in, in sequence or in gray areas or weighing two things at once or holding two ideas in our mind. But happiness and if happiness and holiness are pitted against each other, um, we've essentially said that in order to be a faithful Christian, you must be miserable. Right. You are setting aside. Like, or being married to me is going to be miserable, but it's going to be <laughs> make you holy. That's right. right. No, yeah. I, I will be sanctifying, but no fun right, at all. Right. Um, yeah. That's which again, when you say it out loud like that, it sounds absurd. Right. But that's what that statement says. Ultimately, it's or it says that any happiness is just 
sort of an accident. It's you, you accidentally stumbled into some happiness on your road to holiness. Whereas I think if, uh, if we keep in mind that happiness and joy are not two different things, and we keep in mind that, that following the Lord is not stepping out of enjoyment into this miserable grind of, of growing in Christlikeness, there has to be some understanding where happiness comes through holiness and holiness comes through the right pursuit of happiness. Like they, it becomes, a, it becomes a, a thing where one feeds the other. So, you know, is marriage created for happiness or holiness? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And if you're not growing in happiness in your marriage, there's a good chance you're not growing in holiness hmm. and vice versa. Hmm. If you're going in holiness in your marriage, assuming it's mutual. Mm-hmm. If one of you is growing in holiness and the other one doesn't want to be part of this thing, there's not going to be happiness. That's that's a broken that's a broken reality. But if both of you are growing in happiness together, there's a real good chance that that is reflective of Christ in the church. That's holiness. If you're growing in holiness, you're growing in faithfulness to one another and sharpening one another and encouraging one another and serving one another, you will have a happier marriage. You will be happier people. So there's there's a feeding of one another, and that's just the marriage context. But those two things have to be seen as pouring into one another, not pitted against one another. So right now, I know you wrote this pre-COVID, I think. Yep. But it feels like this is the time that this book should be read. <laughs> there's a lot of um, unhappy people. Yeah. There's a lot of isolated people. Um, suicides are up. Um, I don't know that I've heard stats, but I'm, I'm guessing that divorces are probably up. I mean, it's just a very unhappy time. So what kind of advice would you give uh, someone who's going, I don't even know where happiness went. Mm-hmm. It's not even on my radar right now. What What do they need to do? Read your book. Yeah. And, uh, and give one to a friend because um, <laughs> giving is better than receiving and it'll make you happy. Um <laughs> No, I think I think the if somebody has lost all sense of happiness in in the context of COVID, and I'm setting aside tragedy, you know, right. losing loved ones, those kinds of things. That's those are those are grievous things, and not not to be taken lightly. And sure. so I'm just talking about the sort of like isolated, I feel miserable person, yep. which is a big chunk of the population. The question that I think that those people need to ask themselves is, where was my happiness based? Mm-hmm. If happiness goes away when circumstances shift as they have, because that's, I mean, functionally, that's what COVID is. It's just a massive circumstantial shift. Um, Where was it based? What hook just fell off the wall? Or a whole bunch of hooks, probably, because you can't see your friends and you can't see your family and you can't go to work and so forth. Um, Those are the weak hooks. And the problem is that they all all happened at once (laughs) or ones that had been stable for a long time finally bit the dust. And so... If that's the case, there's a there's a fair amount of self-evaluation that needs to happen. And then there's the question of, well, who who is God in all of this? And not where is God necessarily? And I don't because I don't think we're talking about somebody who who has sort of ceased to believe in God, but just who if God is the giver of good gifts and he's the keeper of promises and and his character is unchanging. Who is God in all this? If your happiness was based on circumstances and those went away, so you've lost that version of happiness, there is, it is you and God. That's where you're at. Um, 
And there's likely still an enormous amount to be thankful for. Mm -hmm. Most people can find a lengthy list of things to be thankful for if they stop thinking about what they don't have anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a huge piece of it. And then there's the, there's the simple fact that like happiness is not always going to be at, at high tide. Like we, we go through low ebb being, being unhappy is not sinful in itself. Hmm. Um, wallowing is turning on God is, but struggling is not, you know, lose losses are real. Pain is real. Grief is real. This, I mean, one of the things I wanted to do in the book was not to say you should be happy all the time, but to say happiness is not always going to be easy in this world. Cause yeah. so that, that sort of, some, sometimes it's okay to just kind of be, man, it's tough right now. Okay. What, but don't, but that, that shouldn't push you off the cliff into there's nothing worth living for life is, is empty, mm. but rather some sort of a baseline that's like, but in spite of this, God is good. God is the giver of good gifts. There's, he is faithful. And then you find all of the ways that he has proven that to be true, which isn't that hard if you're looking, mm -hmm. but it's hard if you're looking at all the stuff that you wish was different. Yeah. I found my, my go-to prayer right now during this time is actually, this is the day that the Lord has made. So rejoice in it. Thinking about, okay, this day really feels like it sucks, but this is the day that the Lord has made. So I need to rejoice in it. But it's a, a willing of that God is in control. This is the day, every day he has made. Yeah, and that, that idea of rejoicing in it is really interesting because it's like it's, re, it's rejoice in his work to have given it to you. So rejoice in it, but then also rejoice during it, mm -hmm. like throughout the day. There's just, and I think there's been a lot of books written about, you know, happiness and simplicity and finding joy in the small things. And that that's an aspect of it, but ultimately it really is a, it's a God focused thing because um, Ecclesiastes is the book that I lean on probably most heavily throughout the book because it's just, it's just the most sort of starkly realistic in your face book in the Bible, um, at least of the wisdom literature. And it, it just basically says, I've tried everything and none of it fulfilled me, but it ends with, um, fear God and keep his commands for this is the whole duty of man, which, which, so it lifts our eyes from your, your hope and, and your duty are in the things of earth to have your eyes on the Lord, fear the Lord. There's a reality that's bigger than this earth. And as Christians, that has to be our governing reality. It's the reality of what is to come. And during times like this, when it feels like every circumstantial happiness is, is fragile at best and maybe just gone, the future reality of hope in Christ is a, is a real thing and something we hold on to. And so, yes, there's things to be grateful for now, but ultimately it's, it's looking ahead. And so that, that governs backwards into our life to say, okay, if that's real, then we can live with a different sort of hopefulness and happiness now. That's good. So as an overachiever, uh, I have hung. I don't consider myself an overachiever. Nope, nope, no, that's me. No, okay, that's gotcha, me. gotcha. <laughs> uh, I have hung uh, achievements mm -hmm. or success on my hooks. In uh, reading your book and pairing it up with uh, a new way, I'm reading through scripture and it's it's enlightening me. Uh, and it really kind of pains me to tell you that, <laughs> especially. But um, 
the passage that I read through was um, the lost treasure in the field. And so mm-hmm. we're going to sell everything we have, go buy this new field so we can get the treasure. And so I cannot tell you how many fields I have sought, right? And so I have wanted to acquire that field so I get that treasure. And then there's going to be another treasure that I've got to go buy another field and then another field and another field. And I can't tell you how many times I've read that, Barnabas. Uh, this last couple of weeks ago, uh, it was like, you've already bought the field. You've got it. Yeah. You've earned the righteousness. You have it. You have the, stop trying, stop <laughs> trying. Yeah. And it was, it was this moment, uh, and for the happiness that, that is me, me it was peace. It yeah. was just like this, stop, stop trying. You've got it. Let's go. Yeah. That the connection of happiness and peace is so important because because happiness can't be summed up in like glee or right, like giddiness right. or laughter like those are expressions of it but sometimes it's just calm yeah rest yeah. resting in everything's fine everything's going to be fine you know and that you know and that that parable is a statement of like you you have the treasure, the kingdom. You, you, you're, right. you're in the kingdom. The kingdom is yours. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's There's really no telling. better field, no better treasure. Yeah, the, you're not playing a game of like flip this field, right. you know, to try to get a greater margin in the nicer field. Like, no, the, the treasure is the thing. Right. You've got it. Right. Yeah. Uh, last question, pairing happiness with discipleship. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? I think, so... When I think about guiding people in discipleship or growing as a disciple, I mean, the whole premise is growing more like Christ, yep. growing in Christ likeness. So that's knowledge of Christ, that's imitation of Christ, that's love of Christ. And a key aspect of that is enjoyment of Christ. Um, if discipleship does not at some point and in, and in some way lead you to a lighter heart, it's not you you there's a misstep along the way it's going to burden you at some points because of conviction and a need for repentance and being confronted with your own mess that you've made of your life or something that you need to deal with but that should lead to 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 happiness so discipleship ultimately should be a growth in enjoyment freedom to the most mature christians so the ones who have who are advancing in discipleship should be the ones who can live with the greatest sense of enjoyment, regardless of circumstances, but in the little things and the big things and, and enjoying things as they were intended, as God intended. So I think, and then, and then also keeping in mind again, the, 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 that the gospel starts with God created a good world because discipleship is, is growth in the full reality of the gospel as it plays out. And as, as we grow in it and, um, and we can't forget that aspect. When we start discipleship with you're growing out of sin into something else, we missed a really important part that gives hope and that gives framework and that defines people with, with purpose and dignity and, and image bearing and all of that. So that aspect as well. So holy, growing in holiness, growing in Christ-likeness ought to be growing in enjoyment. Yep. And it starts with God created a good world, including us. And so there's, there's a hopefulness in that as well. Thanks for being here. 
Yeah, so glad to do it. I appreciate you, buddy. Uh, where can they find out more about, I know you're super active on Twitter, but where, uh, where can they find the book? Where can they find out more about you? Yeah. The easiest place is BarnabasPiper.com. That's my website where we, I just, I, I write there. You can find the books there. Podcast is there, et cetera. Yes. Twitter at Barnabas Piper. And I'm on Instagram. If you feel like looking me up too. Awesome. I highly recommend following Barnabas. Uh, but also if you're listening to this as a podcast, we are on video now. So you can find us on Facebook and on YouTube. Please subscribe and we will see you guys next week.